This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. While speeches at the United Nations have dealt with hot topics like climate change and economic development, the main focus has been on Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the impact on the rest of the world, particularly global food supply chain. I spoke with VOA's UN correspondent Margaret Bashir about the latest developments at the UN headquarters and what still might lie ahead. Now, Margaret, with the news that uh, Russia's President Putin is mobilizing 300,000 more troops for the war in Ukraine and uh, the referendum starting today in four partially occupied areas of the country, Ukraine has really been in the spotlight this week at uh, anger. Tell us what the leaders are saying and what are some of the actions they're taking? Well, he came in for a lot of condemnation and criticism this week at the United Nations, particularly on Thursday in the U.N. Security Council. There was a meeting of the 15 foreign ministers of the Security Council, and Russian Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Lavrov was there. And um, although he didn't sit through most of the meeting, he had a junior person in his seat, and he came only to deliver his remarks. Uh, but uh, the, most of the council members expressed uh, dismay about this uh, referenda that's going on in uh, four partially Russian-occupied areas of Ukraine. The voting started on Friday, and uh, they're basically saying this is just a way of trying to annex uh, Ukrainian territory. So it was roundly condemned. And uh, even traditional friends of Russia, like China and India, expressed concern about the war, that it's continuing, the direction it's going in. They urged negotiation and peace talks. So uh, there's been a lot of concern here, particularly also because he mentioned uh, nuclear weapons in a roundabout way this week, uh, the threat threat of using nuclear weapons. The secretary general said that um, there, you know, it was it used to be unthinkable to even discuss this, and now it's it's coming up. So he said that's unacceptable. Uh, and the European Union is considering new sanctions on uh, Russia because of the referenda that they're holding. Uh, they're, they had an emergency meeting Wednesday night here in New York of their foreign ministers. So there's been a lot of uh, talk about. Russia and of the African nations, we're hearing a lot about the impact of the uh, results of the the escalation of the food crisis and the fuel costs and the economic crisis that have all been accelerated uh, by Russia's war. And Ghana's foreign minister Shirley Bachway, she sits on the Security Council, and she said that uh, the cost of this war is high for parties all over the world. And she quoted her president, who said at uh, during his General Assembly speech this week that every bullet and every bomb that hits a target in Ukraine hits our pockets. And so she said we must act with diplomacy to end this war. So lots of Ukraine in the news. But what else has been on the agenda at Anger this week besides uh, Ukraine? Right. So lots of other things have been going on, and they may not be seizing the headlines, but there's been a lot of action. On uh, Wednesday, President Biden of the United States held an event to replenish the Global Fund for Tuberculosis, Malaria, and HIV-AIDS, and they raised an amazing $14.25 billion to replenish that fund, which seeks to reduce, reduce deaths 
from these three uh, diseases. And uh, there was also, the U.S. also announced $2.9 billion in humanitarian assistance to various countries for the global food crisis. And on Thursday, uh, there was a high-level meeting about the situation in the Sahel, and uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres said that it's it's a, a global threat, that if nothing is done about the effects of terrorism and violent extremism and organized crime in that region, it'll be felt far beyond Africa. And so he said we must rethink our approach and go beyond existing efforts and find bold solutions to uh, alleviate the situation in the Sahel. And briefly, there's still two more days of speeches ahead. What should we watch for? On Saturday, Ethiopia's deputy prime ministers uh, speaking in the General Assembly. We'll hear from Mali's acting prime minister, Mozambique's prime minister, uh, also Russia and China's uh, foreign ministers will speak on Saturday. So there's a lot happening on Saturday. And then on Monday, it'll wrap up. But we'll hear from North Korea and Myanmar, which uh, are also two countries with a lot going on. Mm. That was VOA's UN correspondent Margaret Bashir speaking with me from New York. At the United Nations General Assembly, some African leaders are appealing for greater world support in tackling the effects of climate change. Zimbabwe's President Emerson Mnangagwa was among them. In his speech yesterday, Mnangagwa said conflict and economic dislocation need a global response. The number of persons exposed to food insecurity continues to increase. Meanwhile, the scourges of conflict and climate change have become major drivers of migration and refugees. The ever-looming threat associated with the Triple C crisis of COVID-19, conflict and climate change is placed upon us an enormous responsibility to confront these interlocking challenges by strengthening multilateralism and solidarity. South Sudan Vice President Hussein Abdelbagi told the Assembly that relative peace in his country was allowing those displaced to return to their homes, but the government is struggling to keep to help them. He said climate change has meant that more than 70% of South Sudan has experienced flooding in the past three years, contributing to food insecurity. The government of South Sudan, in its analysis of food insecurity between the period of February to March 2022, estimated 6.83 million people, 55.3% of the population, are facing acute food insecurity. 2.437 2.437 million are, or are on emergency level. The head of Sudan's sovereign council, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, yesterday told the assembly delegates that his government will work to fulfill the 2019 Juba peace agreement among warring factions in his country. <laughs> Burhan says the military-led government welcomes different initiatives to foster national understanding, including rigorous debate that includes youth community leaders and civil society organizations. He says the government hopes the process will succeed and allow for a democratic transition and free elections. Burhan did not give a timeline for holding elections, although he told the Associated Press that he does not plan to run for office. 
Almost a year ago, Burhan led a military takeover of the civilian-led transitional government that came into office in 2019 after the ouster of longtime President Omar al-Bashir. For more on the UN General Assembly, be sure to check out voaafrica.com and voanews.com and you'll find more reporting on the Assembly on all VOA Africa's radio and TV programs as well as our social media pages. Nigeria's finance, budget and national planning minister says the West African country is ready for business. Zainab Shamsuna Ahmed says the economic outlook of Nigeria ahead of next February's general election is positive. She urged investors to come to the country, contending the returns of those who invested in the economy the last few years have left them laughing all the way to the bank. Her remarks come during the Nigeria International Economic Partnership Forum on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly. Ahmed addressed investor concerns about the economic outlook in the short and medium term, the investment climate and the case for an investment climate facility. She said the economy has seen growth in spite of the pandemic that has battered growth in most of the world. In a sit-down interview with VOA's Peter Cloti, Zainab Shamsuna Ahmed also talks about the budget for next year's vote and job creation for the youth. Well, we're um, in a good place as far as growth is concerned. Uh, we have uh, recorded seven quarters of consecutive growth. The last quarter, Q2 uh, 2022, was 3.54% uh, uh, growth. And we're projecting that the 2022 year will also close at a, a growth of about 3.5% year-end. Year 2023, we're also projecting an even higher growth. And, and people ask me why when there's an election. And an, an election period actually is a period where you see a lot of uh, spending within the, uh, 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 with the campaigns and also with funding the election itself. It's big spending for election. So we have in Nigeria in 2023, we have uh, an election. We also have a population census that is going to happen. All of that uh, requires a lot of... So when government spends, uh, is, is, is paying for goods and for services, and there's this trickle-down effect that um, um, improves the performance of the of the economy so we expect a higher growth uh, in 2023 than than uh, uh, 2022 and then a slight dip uh, in in uh, in the outer year of 2024 um, our projection is that in the next in the next um, 15 years nigeria's economy will reach a 1 trillion dollar uh, size in terms of in, in, that's a very significant in, in terms of in terms of G GDP. Nigeria is still the largest economy in Africa, and we're seeing the expansion in nominal GDP year on year. Uh, a bit slow in this in the last couple of years since we've uh, been grappling with the effects of COVID, with the effects of Ukraine, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, and also we're currently grappling with managing inflation. We have. Um, inflation now trending as high as 20%. The major concern for us is that the largest component is food inflation, and food inflation has an impact on, direct impact on, 
on the population. So we're taking measures to rein in inflation, especially food inflation, by addressing the largest push, uh, which is the logistics, uh, the, is, is the logistics cost that is high for us. Talking about uh, investors coming to Nigeria, how will their investments be protected? Talking about policies uh, to invest in, in Nigeria, how will they be protected in terms of uh, when they invest the profits they get to repatriate it back to where they are or reinvest it? How will their investment be protected, if I may ask you? So when you, when you say protection, let me just say that Nigeria has never appropriated any investment. So when you come in as an investor in Nigeria, your investment is safe. Government will not take over your investment. So I guess what you're asking is how will they uh, find it easy to repatriate the proceeds of their investment. We're addressing the issue of the deficiency in foreign exchange by trying to open up new sectors that we're already beginning to see uh, bringing in foreign exchange. The non-oil sector uh, uh, inflows of uh, foreign exchange is beginning to tick up and uh, that is where we must concentrate. We're having challenges because our oil sector is underperforming in terms of production and therefore oil dollars are, uh, are, uh, have, have, re have been reduced to a mere trickle. So there's a, the problem we have is that of supply and demand, and we just need to increase the supply to address the problem. So in the medium, in the medium term, this will be addressed. Now, what assurances are you giving these investors? Because I heard you speak at the event, you tell them, come and invest, Nigeria is ready for business. What assurances are you getting, are you giving them to, that will make it attractive for them to come and invest in Nigeria? Well, we're telling them that you will get the highest returns of, on investment in Nigeria. Check the numbers. There is nowhere in the African continent where you get the kind of returns that you get in Nigeria. Are there risks? Yes. Risks are, are, are there. In some cases, risks are elevated. But that's the same reason why investors do their due diligence before coming in. That was Zainab Shamsuna Ahmed, Nigeria's finance, budget, and national planning minister. She was speaking with VOA's Peter Cloti. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please visit our website at voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. And for world news, check out voanews.com. Uganda's Minister of Health has confirmed seven cases of Ebola, including four deaths this week, along with seven other deaths that are still being investigated. The 24-year-old man who died had developed a high fever, diarrhea, and abdominal pains, and was vomiting blood. Reports say that the man was initially treated for malaria in a hospital in Mowende district, but was later diagnosed as having contracted the rare Sudan strain of the Ebola virus. Dr. Diana Atwine is the permanent secretary in Uganda's Ministry of Health. She tells me that this is the second time that the Sudan strain has been registered in Uganda. Atwine also says, Atwine also says that the available Ebola vaccines are for the Zaire strain, but that the government was in talks with the WHO to allow deployment for the Sudan strain. 
Yeah, it is true that so far we recorded seven uh, cases uh, that we are taking care of in our hospital in uh, Mobende. And um, our teams are still investigating the possible cause and where it would have come from. What is very difficult is that um, this, 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 these are family members that, that could have got infection and then that's where it could have been the index uh, case. But because we did not test them and we cannot confirm, but with the pattern is, is like it is like uh, of Ebola because it affected mainly the cluster of one family, um, and also the people who are in contact with some of those people. Um, we are some of them, although they don't have any any symptoms, we are still observing them to see whether they will develop the symptom. And what is the status of the contact tracing so far? And are you worried that the situation could uh, get out of hand? We have between 40 and 45. Some are, uh, we are still uh, following up on the phone. They had traveled. Um, but we are observing them. And, and so uh, we, we are still doing the, the contact tracing. And also the ones that are having the, the symptoms, we are treating them, but we have isolated them. So we shall be updating you as we, 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 we see the, the evolving situation in the country. But right now, there is no cause for alarm because we have not, um, from Monday, we have not really registered more deaths. And the fact that um, the other people had died, and if it was really extensively in the community, maybe we'd be experiencing right now mm. more deaths. But we are still observing, and we, we shall be able to update you as we go along. Dr. Twinet, th- does your ministry know where this gentleman got infected from and the kind of strain that he's infected with? Um, yes, the Ebola that we got uh, in Uganda this time is Ebola Sudan. This is a rare strain. Uh, this is the second time we are, we are registering it in Uganda. Uh, to, we have tried to establish where this uh, this person could have gotten this infection. He, he's a he's a he's a business person. He had a shop. Um, he, he, he had a retailer shop, which is visited by anybody. It could have been maybe through money exchange or because we had not traveled anywhere so we we are really trying to it is very difficult right now to to tell you um where the source is um but hopefully our epidemiologists who are on the ground trying to gather all the possible information will be able to come back and and tell us the possible source of the infection and are there any plans by the government to deploy some of uh, the available ebola vaccines in this area? Um, the vaccine that we have in the country for Ebola was, uh, was tested based on the strain of Zaire. It, it was not for, or for Sudan because this Sudan strain is a rare one. But we are discussing with the World Health Organization and the responsible agencies to see whether um, we, could, we could also uh, try this because it has been found to be safe. Um, but that is that is a possibility we are also weighing to, to but we are still in discussion with the World Health Organization. 
That was uh, Dr. Diana Atwine, the Permanent Secretary in Uganda's Ministry of Health. She spoke to me by phone from Kampala. Defying court decisions and government bans, some members of an African regional air safety union have begun a strike over working conditions and pay. The 18-member West African Madagascar Aviation Safety Agency, which manages air traffic control in an area covering 16.1 million square kilometers of airspace, said yesterday that some staff had threatened a 48-hour strike that could impact flights. The union said in a statement that its members would cease providing services to all but sensitive flights for an indefinite period until their demands are satisfied. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States congratulates Somalia on the formation of its government and looks forward to working together to address the nation's challenges, said Ambassador Richard Mills, Deputy U.S. Representative to the United Nations. The challenges facing Somalia include reconciling the national government and federal member states, completing the review of the federal constitution, and achieving debt relief. The threat from the terrorist group al-Shabaab remains a serious concern, as demonstrated by the horrific attack on August 20th at the Hyatt Hotel in Mogadishu. Ambassador Mills strongly condemned the attack and said the United States remains committed to supporting Somali-led efforts to defeat al-Shabaab. We congratulate the Somali National Security Forces for their successful offensive to drive al-Shabaab from the Haran region. We are committed to using available tools to fight terrorism, including providing direct support to the AU transition mission in Somalia and to Somalia's security forces, as well as utilizing the 751 Somalia sanctions regime to designate al-Shabaab operatives who continue to threaten peace and security in Somalia and throughout East Africa. We urge other member states to do the same. As the single largest donor of humanitarian assistance to Somalia, the United States remains committed to respond to the unprecedented drought impacting over 7 million people who are facing food insecurity. The recent warning that a famine is projected next month is a sobering call to action for us all, said Ambassador Mills. Famine, he added, is a challenge no one country can address alone. The international community must take concerted action, dedicating the necessary resources to prevent the growing loss of life and livelihoods. The United States government has provided more than 700 million U.S. dollars in assistance to Somalia this year amid the unprecedented drought, which constitutes more than 70 percent of all the contributions received so far by the Humanitarian Response Plan of the UN for Somalia. We encourage other international partners to expand their contributions for humanitarian relief. The United States strongly supports the Somali people and remains committed to working together to advance democracy and mutual prosperity for both countries. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. For all latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at boaafrica.com.
soul. This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturday.